Okay, last week we introduced the topic, um, Freedom from Anxiety. And it was a wonderful time because it was timed enough as I wanted to as we ended the lesson to actually take some questions from you. And we've received some wonderful questions, um, which I will incorporate in the weeks ahead as we walk through this topic of anxiety and how we can be free from it. And Joanna did a great job because she said, did you remember all of those? And I had, in the moment I remembered them, but she jotted them all down for me. Um, so I have all the questions that you asked, and I'm sure there may be others. And as I said last week, if you have other questions, um, just feel free to email me and say, are you going to consider this? Or you've already said this. Will you clarify that for me? I absolutely want to do that for you so that we can go through this and everyone can learn. Um, as I told you before, I thought that I would do these two weeks and three more lessons. That is two weeks on anxiety, two weeks on contentment, and two on purity. But as I've opened this topic of anxiety, uh, I'm surely going to spend more time. Um, I will leave Friday um, for Ethiopia. I'll be there the total time away and back. I think it's 10 or 11 days. So I'll be gone for two Sundays and I'll come back. Then I'll be preaching three in a row. And I'm, right now we're at five lessons on this because I don't want to rush through it. But at the same time, I don't want to spend um, unnecessary time talking about it because the topic of contentment is absolutely important as well. And we'll see how even contentment, when we get to that, ties into the sense of anxiety. Um, so just to give you a look ahead, pray for me as I... Uh, get on a plane Friday and head to the other part of the world for just great opportunity there. And Stephen will be with me as we minister there. And I think he's going to also have a trip where he's going to go. Are you going to also go to N Namibia? December. Oh, in December, N Namibia. Okay, great. So pray about that. And let's dive in here to this lesson. And I think it's something that everyone wants to know. What does God say about Anxiety. What does he say about worry? So um, freedom from anxiety, part two. We're going to walk through seven principles as a cure. And where do you find those seven principles? Well, we're going to find them in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. So we're going to walk through the very words of Christ. And what does he say about worry? And what does he say about anxiety? Now, you also see there Proverbs 12, 25, because it tells us that the, the anxiety of life, the weight of the worry of life weighs the heart down, but a good word makes it glad. And what I'm saying is that the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, those are the good words. And if we would follow those good words, then we can, in fact, be free from anxiety. Now, of course, I came to you uh, with this supposition that uh, believing that God, whenever he has told us to do something, when he's told us to avoid something, when he's told us to be like him or to be like others, that God always gives us sufficient grace to do it. Do you believe that? Yes. That is, God doesn't say um, avoid immorality, but he gives us no means to avoid it. Uh, he doesn't tell us be imitators of God, as he would say in Ephesians chapter 5, but he gives us no grace to do it. Uh, he doesn't tell us to love your neighbor, but he gives us no way in which we can practically um, and spiritually love our neighbors. Absolutely not. Everything that he's called us to do, he has given us sufficient grace to do it. 
Now, the quote that was there last week from George Mueller, uh, and perhaps I'll have it there every week for us, just as a reminder, I like it. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of genuine, our true faith, is the end of anxiety. How do we match our faith, and how do we nurture our faith so that it can help us alleviate anxiety and worry in life? Now, I gave you a number of stats from last week, and some of them I just said, let's stop because I wanted to have a Q&A time with you. But I do want to go back to some of those because the issue of anxiety is widespread. It is widespread. So let me remind you of how widespread it is by some stats that would help you see really the, the prevalence of um, anxiety in society. And then we're going to look at some types of anxiety disorders and then the treatment of anxiety disorders. Now, again, remind you what I said before or last week, that there may be um, references in my quotations, uh, organizations in my quotations, and even at times some evaluations that I may not necessarily agree with. And in due time, as we go through the lesson itself, I will show you where I would disagree with that, or I think the scripture uh, uh, is in contradiction to that. So just so you know that, I can't at every um, point stop and say, well, that organization, we disagree here, here, here. I can't do that because then it would be, uh, it would just be distracting, actually, is what it would be. And then we want to look at, like I said, the treatment of some of these disorders. And even the word disorders itself is something that we may not necessarily disagree with. Uh, because for a disorder, for a secular institution, is not necessarily what we would consider a disorder. At times, it's simply a sinful response to the issues of life. Um, but let's move ahead. Now, this. Um, in the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, they say that anxiety disorders affect 40 million adults Every year. That's about 18% of the U.S. population. And then also from the Harvard Medical School, 31% of Americans experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lifetime. And again, I commented on that last week. Well, but see that statement itself, we would say um, everyone at some point in time, most people at some point in time experience anxiety, do they not? And this is why Christ is saying, don't be anxious. Because they're experiencing anxiety. Um, it's normal that we experience it, but the question is when it becomes a pattern in life and when it becomes something that's inhibiting life, then that is really something that must be addressed. And as well, notice this um, the sell of books about anxiety increased 25% in only one year. And that was the period from 2017 to 2018. And even the largest book retailer, Barnes & Noble, they noticed this surge that took place in that year. So people are saying, what are the answers? What are the solutions? And so they're going to find those solutions and often reading things that at times may or may not be helpful. Uh, another interesting stat put out by Anxiety Center says that 41% of employees experience workplace Anxiety, But again, we have to determine how is that defined? What are the markers for that? Um, surely there are people, you're under the gun. You have to make that presentation before the vice president. And now it's 48 hours left and your PowerPoint just 
all of a sudden it disappeared into cyberspace. And now you're saying to yourself, what am I going to do? Is this the end of my career? What's going to happen, right? And a young man that says, what is it, aerospace engineering? He's, one day he's saying, this is how we're going to get to Jupiter. And all of a sudden his, his program uh, goes and it, it messes up on him. Now what is he going to do? So all of us feel something like that at some point in time, perhaps. And there is a difference, as we said before, from experiencing uh, an anxiety disorder and having concern in life. We all have concerns, and we should have concerns. If you don't have concerns in life, you're not living life. As an illustration of this, say, for instance, some of you know that, um, I forget how long it's been now, where I had the episode with AFib, and we've talked about it before, where I literally thought I was about to die, and uh, the Lord, in his graciousness, I am still here today, amen? And um, uh, my doctor, when I went to see my primary, he asked me several questions, and he said, well, about my lifestyle, what do I do? And I, I told him this before, and he said, well, do you, are you under stress? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> but there's a difference between being under stress and feeling what? Stressful are stressed out, as we say. I'm at the end of my rope. No, I don't ever feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I don't feel stressed out. Do I feel stress? I do, because that's the nature of what I do. I mean, sometimes I look at my calendar and say, okay, how do I do all of this? So I get off the plane um, last night, and, and I'm getting ready for tomorrow, and I, I'm going over these notes on the plane, and I'm thinking, but I have this appointment Monday, and I have this Tuesday, and I have class Wednesday, and I have to get that grading before I'm done and leave on this flight Friday, and whether or not I'm going to leave at 5 p.m. or 12 p.m., I'm going to make a connection in um, London. I'm trying to see some men in London um, from Grace Life London. You know that ministry there. Maybe I can connect with them while I'm on the ground, jump back on the plane, and head into Addis Ababa. And all of these things are part of my life. But I don't feel stressed out. I find myself, what do you think I find myself often? On my what? <laughs> on my knees. No, I have no anxiety disorder. Uh, and I told him that. I didn't tell him all of those details. <laughs> Now he's stressed out. Oh, boy. I'm stressed out for you. And people have said that to me before. It's like I look at your life and it's like, I'm getting anxious, right? Well, you go ahead. I'm not. But thank you. I appreciate your concern, right? And I, but I told him that in a nutshell, that's my life. Now, I said, now, there is probably something I won't do again. Because at some point in time, your body does respond a certain way to stress that you place on it, and that's a reality. Because that was the period of time I was, um, we went to go see my son in Hawaii, um, visited with him, and he had us on this, like, we told him we're not Marines, he had us on this Marine schedule, you know, Excel file, you know, this sort of, like, dude, I mean, really, we, your parents are just here to visit with you, right? <laughs> Give it, where are the pineapples and coconuts, right? And so we're doing these things with him, but I already had my bag packed because I was going to Africa at that point in time. So literally my younger son, he picks me up at LAX. Joanna goes with him. We exchange bags. I get my other bag. I say, hello, goodbye. I go back into the airport. I get on another flight to the other side of the world. And literally I land in Johannesburg, which is the opposite side of the globe from Hawaii, if you look at it. And I, I'm there for, I forget how many 
a couple of weeks or so doing things and I come back again and I'm in this schedule. And could that have been a factor? It could have been. It could have been. Yeah, and, and there is info- data that says if you do certain <laughs> things at a certain level, it can affect you in that way. It could have been. But did I psychologically and emotionally feel stressed out? Was I concerned about things? No. No, not really. And that's just me. Um, consider this. Some other stats for you. Types of anxiety disorders. Um, and it says that, again, from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, they say that about 19 million Americans suffer from specific phobias. Specific phobias. And, of course, that can be anything. Some that are quite um, irrational. Um, the fear of, of insects and germs and heights are flying. Um, you say, to me, someone may say, it's not irrational to me, but... Um, Americans do suffer from these things. And we've discussed this before. You remember when we were in Isaiah, and do not what? Fear, for I am with you. Yeah. Do not fear. I love you. Why should you fear Judah? But people do have all sorts of phobias, and that creates anxiety in them. And it says about 15 million U.S. adults suffer from Social anxiety disorder are sad. Um, this, and then 3.2 million Americans suffer from obsessive compulsive disorder. 6.8 million suffer from what is called generalized anxiety disorder. And then there are also those that suffer from panic disorders. Um, PTSD. Um, there's been some post-traumatic stress disorder. A person has had real stress in life, traumatic stress in life. Um, and, I, and that question was asked even last week of me, will, will I talk about it? And I will. And the first thing I said is we have to think about our veterans because my mind went right away to thinking about veterans who've had real stress in the field, the things that they've seen at an intense, continual level for some, their makeup is that it goes with them for a long time. So how do they deal with that trauma that they have seen? And there is some indication that um, even, as I mentioned before, that what may have happened at that G3 conference could have been triggered by this person's experience in that area. Uh, there's some other stats on this, but I'll move ahead. Let me do give you one. Um, interesting enough that 14% of people in the European Union suffer from an anxiety disorder. And as a matter of fact, in the UK, there's a combination of anxiety and depression that is prevalent. What are some treatments, though, for anxiety disorders? And psychotherapy is the most successful treatment, and this is their language, is the most successful treatment with a recovery rate of 57%. Hmm... Does that concern you at all? Yeah, y'all would be concerned. And some, it's a combination of um, psychotherapy and medication. And it says in this article, it may include herbal supplements, relaxation techniques, yoga, and acupuncture. Hmm. No, we would not recommend that. Listen to this. Anxiety disorders incur an annual cost of over $4.5 
$42 billion for the U.S. Just in the U.S., $42 billion. So it's widespread, it's obvious. There are types of anxiety disorders. Uh, there are treatments, um, but some we would absolutely disagree with. So let's move ahead a bit. Um, defining anxiety. First, we start again with what it is not. Um, anxiety is not a proper concern that is used to fuel responsible behavior in ministry and your daily duties. Like when I feel some of that stress that I do, in one sense, it's like, okay, let's buckle up. Um, what is it that I have to do? Uh, what, what does my schedule look like? And I'm often looking at my schedule. And one thing that I do uh, when I look at it, I go through all of my color coded and there's a color codes that I have for it. And then what I may do is pray about that schedule. When I wake up in the morning, I look at what is it that I have to do and I pray about it. As I was on the plane last night, I'm looking through, okay, here is October. Because uh, when I get back from um, Ethiopia, I have about a week and a half. And then I'm, on, I'm headed to the UK, and I come back from that, and I I said to myself, that was going to be the end, but someone asked me to speak in San Jose, and that doesn't really, that's even San Jose, right? That's not, that's 45-minute flight, that's not too bad, and it's in the woods, and it's like a retreat, so for me, that'll be, ah, this is really good. Yeah, there's some benefit to doing things like that. Can something like that actually help with anxiety? It can. Guess what? As the as song says, he walks with me and he talks with me as I go to these areas of life. So 1 Corinthians twelve twenty five, that's being concerned about um, one another that may prevent even divisiveness. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul's concern for the churches. And then Philippians 2.20, Timothy was a man who was concerned for the church. Paul said that he would have a genuine concern for you. But anxiety, when it is negative, can be in an attempt to control or to avoid or to escape the events of life. And when a person is trying to control or escape the events of life because perhaps they seem threatening to them, it can inhibit spiritual growth and it will have a negative effect even if it's prolonged on them physically. Um, some synonyms. If you just were to look at anxiety, what might be some synonyms for anxiety? Well, concern, but we say that's, we understand that. Uh, disquiet, um, unease, uneasiness, worry, uncertainty, distress. And when we think about um, words that we would prefer, obviously it's composure, trust, faith, security. One dictionary, when it says here is anxiety, it's defined this way as an abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear often marked by psychological signs such as sweating, tension, increased pulse. It also means this, by doubt concerning the reality and nature of the threat. And what they're saying by this is there's a doubt that comes because you see some potential threat and now we have to determine what is the reality of that threat. And for some people, that reality is um, sort of exponentially um, multiplied, if you will, because the threat isn't that real. But for them, in that moment, they feel it, and they have anxiety over it, and they worry over it. And as we talked about even last week, there are people that have concerns about various things in life. People have concerns about their future, 
And not only from just their future, just the everyday issues of life, but it means specific things like, what about financially? What is going to happen? What about my investments? What about my education? What about my health? I just got this report from the doctor. What is my future? Can I turn this around? And those are the everyday concerns that we have. Will my business fail? Will this get better? Will it get worse? And then people have concerns as well, just that are relational concerns about a relationship that's not what it should be. Will this ever get better in this relationship? Will this marriage ever get better? And then people that are without a spouse are thinking, will I ever find someone? Is that person out there? Will I be a single person all of my life? And they can have concerns. And even those concerns can become something that's inhibiting to them and their own spiritual growth. So it's how do we determine the threat itself? Is it a real threat? There are some people that do have a phobia of they're afraid of, you know, insects. They're afraid of spiders. And I won't have a raising of hands right now, (laughs) right now, because I I think it could be a mixed group, actually. Um, For them, it's a threat. They feel this way. That person is wondering about financially. How am I going to pay the bills? Will it ends me? What will I have to do? Is it a second job? Is it a third job? California is very difficult. Should I just move? Do I get out of here? Do I go with everyone else and go to the rejuvenation of the Southeast? Yeah. What should I do? Um, And then it's been said this way, that worry has been defined, and listen to this, worry has been defined as, quote, a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all thoughts are drained. I like that. And I like the imagery. Think about it. So it starts with something that could be insignificant and small, but if it goes long enough and long enough and long enough, what is going to happen? It cuts a channel and all these other thoughts are drained into it. So maybe it's what drains into this area are my thoughts where I know I should trust God. I know what God is like. I know that God is faithful. I know that God is able. I know that God gives me grace. But now you focus on the circumstances so much, all the thoughts about God and what you know about truths, they're all drained into it, and it's taken away. I think that's a very practical definition at times of anxiety. Anxiety, a worry that is unacceptable. Again, there's a difference between that and concern. We should, we should have concern. Let me remind you of some key texts that we looked at before we dive into Matthew. Some key texts. Joshua. God says to the man of God, don't be dismayed. Um, Psalm 94. Um, the psalmist says, you know, when my anxious thoughts multiplied among me, that he said he sought the Lord. Proverbs 12:25 is a thought that the, the, the anxieties of life weigh the heart down, but a good word will make it glad. Isaiah, the mind that is stayed on you, you will keep in perfect peace. Isaiah is a thought that if we would just know God and who he is, we should not fear and we must not fear. As we'll look at Matthew chapter 6 and 7, as we ended last week, 
with this reality that we have a heavenly father who cares for us and he knows our every need that we should not worry. Uh, John 14 and one. And what did Jesus Christ say to his disciples? He said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be worried. He's going to go and prepare a place for them. Of course, Philippians four tells us what we should not be anxious in anything, nothing, but in all things. So you remember last week, how many of you were here last week? And uh, if you remember, I asked uh, Dr. Z, is there something in the Greek language that redefines the word everything or nothing? And guess what was the answer? What was the answer? Zero. He says, nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. So now we have a question about scripture. Did Paul really, should Paul really have written nothing? Should he have said that? Should he have said, well, now there are some things in which you are allowed to be anxious about. So now do we, do we correct Paul? And when we correct Paul, it means we correct whom? Thank you. Because we have a correct view of scripture, do we not? So no, he meant what it said. And if it, was, if it meant what it said, and it says that, then the question for us is to discover, Lord, how do I live this out? And here's the reality. I'm not living this way. I don't live as if you said everything. I don't, I don't live as if you said nothing. Life is hard. We recognize that. And this is why you see in the psalmist too often where he's saying, what, life is difficult, Lord. And this is why he would say in Psalm 94, when... He says, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. He's saying, here's my reality. However, here's the solution. So some people would think, and I think it's in error, that somehow we can uh, get rid of anxiety and we simply have to, like some of these crackpot preachers in the prosperity gospel, uh, we have to denounce it or claim the blood or the cross against it. No, this is not what we do. Uh, The beautiful thing about our relationship to the living God is that we're covered by the blood and we're in him and we're sustained by him. But no, I don't have any formula where I speak against anxiety. What I do is, in my mind, I say, okay, Lord, help me in this moment. Gather my thoughts. Who are you? What did you promise? Let me think on those. Let me be like in Isaiah 26 and 3, and let my mind be stayed on you. 1 Corinthians 7, and we see in that context that Paul is saying there's a concern, and that concern even has to do with those that are going to be married, because when they're married, they have to be concerned about their spouse and the things of their spouse, and uh, that's why in one sense, the person that is single, uh, there is a great deal of freedom that they have that the married person does not. And of course, um, 2 Thessalonians 3.16 um, tells us, hmm, it just, it just left me. Uh, the peace of God. And he talks about the peace of God that it would abide in you. And of course, 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast our burdens upon the Lord. The question for you right now, this moment, do you believe that the living God is capable of handling your burdens? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's the wonderful thing about it. If all of us this very moment, whatever anxieties or fears, uh, threats that you propose that are there in life, if you were to cast them all upon him right this moment, is he weighed down by that? Think about believers all across this planet. 
And if they, at the very same moment, they said, living God, I cast my burdens upon you. Is the divine now affected by that? By no means, is he? By no means. We are, because we're finite beings. We have a limited capacity. Even as a pastor and an elder here, uh, someone is concerned about you and your life, and sometimes it means for us, we take on some of your burdens and concerns, if you will. Um, and this is why at times it's for the minister to have some time to refresh his own soul is necessary. But God needs no refreshment. I was, uh, we were traveling, uh, coming back, and I... Uh, they gave what they gave me a gift, very nice big leather bag, traveling bag, very nice, nice G three thing on it, and I decided, well, let me. I don't want to, um, you know, ship it. That is, I don't want to because it'll get all messed up. The leather's too nice, and but it was quite heavy, and so I packed other things in it, and I had a garment bag going, so I took my suits and I put in it. And um, normally I'm a pretty light traveler, have my backpack, that's about it. And I had that thing on me, and I was chained from the right arm to the left arm. Let me put it over this shoulder, let me put it over the other shoulder. Because I was feeling what? What was I feeling? The weight of it. And I'm, you know, still in decent shape, right? But I was still like, wow, this is heavy. I'm feeling the weight of it. I'm feeling all of these things that are inside of it. Maybe I shouldn't have packed it in there. Maybe I should have checked it and just let it get scuffed up a bit so it'll kind of look worn or something like that. I heard that's a cool thing to do now. Some, Julian was telling me that's something that cool, young people do. They like they purposely they get scuffed up. So young people, is that something that you do? Like let your luggage get scuffed up and it looks cool? They're saying, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. If it's leather, I want to keep it looking nice, right? And I could feel it now. A basic illustration, but you get my point, do you not? But there have been times, you know, through my ministry career where you feel the burden of people. Yeah, they go through divorce and you feel the pain of it. You see a family break up and you feel the pain of it. They're telling you, Pastor, I don't know that I can make it. And you feel the pain of it. I think I do have to leave California. We just cannot put ends together. We just can't do it. And you feel that as well. And you pray with them and you take them before the Lord, which is the greatest thing that any minister can do, any child of God can do for their fellow believers, to take them before the living God. But God, cast your burdens upon him. And it says so plainly, because he does what? He cares for you. So what are the good words from Matthew 6 in these last 15 minutes or so? The good words of Matthew 6, because Proverbs 12, 25 says what? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Here are the good words that we'll find in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Number one is, you can gain freedom from anxiety by considering temporal things and life. Verse 25. We're going to look at three of these this morning, so I won't go into any detail right now. Gain freedom from anxiety by considering human life and lesser beings. And that's a a basic principle. If God takes care of them, surely he will take care of you. Gain freedom from anxiety by considering its negative negative effect. Uh, Are you going to add to your life? No. As a matter of fact, you will detract from your life the more you worry. And then gain freedom from anxiety by considering the providence of God. 
If God is a providential God and all things are under his sovereign control and every detail of life is a part of his infinite knowledge, then I must trust in God's providence. And that means also in providence, providence can be something that is a smiling providence, but it can also be a frowning providence. And that frowning providence is the moments in life when maybe you don't have as much or it's difficult or you get that word from the doctor itself or you're wondering how things are going to work out. But it's also that, that smiling providence that is moving you along and you see the blessing of the Lord. I was with uh, one of our guys recently. I'm not sure if I told you this. And I was asking about his ministry and, um, and how it was going. And it had gone through a, a difficult spell in life. And they asked me, he says, well, what are you going through now? That's any difficulties. And I paused for a moment and I just said, I'm not. However, <laughs> that's in this moment because I know what's coming. I may be, all of us at some point in time, you're either in the storm or in the eye of the storm. Do you agree with me on that? In the eye of the storm, you, you know it's around you, but in the eye, there's a calmness. And for a period of time, as that hurricane moves, you will find yourself in the midst of those winds again. And sometimes life is that way. You find yourself in the eye of the storm, but you know in due time, you're going to feel, feel the winds of difficulty coming. Then it's also this, gain freedom from anxiety by considering its poor example. That's what the Gentiles do, not you. Gain freedom from anxiety by considering the priority of the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And then number seven, gain freedom from anxiety by considering the priority of the present. Live life right now. Now, what are some cures? And some of these secular cures are, offer a temporary freedom and at times even greater enslavement. Temporary freedom, but at times a greater enslavement. Number one would be this. Um, psychological therapy is one. Number two would be medication, both synthetic and natural. Number three would be seek more self-confidence. If you would just believe in yourself more, then you can rid yourself of your fears. Number four would be attempt to control your environment. Has that ever really worked for anyone well and consistently? No, it hasn't. And even if somehow you could move yourself to another environment, you may be in the eye for a period of time, but what is going to happen? The winds of the storm are going to come. They're going to move. And I grew up in Florida, so I would see uh, we lived through many, many hurricanes. It was a yearly occurrence, several times a year. And at times you'd be on the, on the television, you're seeing that, that huge storm, and you see that eye. And right now that eye was over, maybe it's over the some of the keys, but you know it's going to happen as it moves. Those keys are going to get hit by it. Then it comes to Miami, and then maybe it goes off into the Atlantic somewhere. And so life is that way. You can, to a certain degree, control certain things, but not everything. God is going to put you in a circumstance in life where you cannot control it. So the question is going to be then, when that occurs, it's not if it occurs, how you respond to it. Then number five, some would say, well, develop relaxation skills. And this is what some would promote things like yoga, um, chanting even, Eastern mysticism that's involved in it. Uh, it's simply been westernized. Um, are there things you can do to relax? Sure, there are practical things you should do that I think um, are in the purview of a mature Christian life. Um, I love to, as you see sometimes when I go out for my walks, I love to do that. That relaxes me. And there are places, I mean, I'd, 
if I could climb as much as I used to be able to, I, I would love to climb in the mountains. And you see this beautiful peak and you look into a valley. That's relaxing to me. Uh, I go to the beach when we used to live near, you know, more towards, um, you know, the South Bay area. And it was always, uh, often for me, 10 minutes. Wow, I was right at Manhattan Beach. And I go to Manhattan Beach and I just walk along the beach. And I love the sound of those waves crashing. And I love when there was a bit of a storm. It was a, it was a bit more action to it. And you're looking at it and you're hearing those sounds. And I'm reminding myself, just like this, this sounds of the waves, so is God's faithfulness towards me and seeing creation. Recently, I was on one of my trips. We took a trip from the Spokane area up to Idaho into Priest Lake, which was beautiful, glassy Priest Lake. And it was wonderful seeing it, looking into the heavens, and there's no light pollution around you, and you can see the stars, and you're saying to yourself, this is a wonderful thing. That, to me, is relaxing, but that's not my cure. Yeah. It's a part of it, because then I think my Heavenly Father cares for me. I can look into the heavens and say, look at all of these stars, which His hands have made. How much more is He knowing what I'm facing? Then it's also this. Psalm would say even, release your frustration. A bit archaic approach, but nonetheless, some would say, just release it. Get it out of your system, and you will be better. Then some would say even this, continue in anxiety. It will subside. No, not true. Number one. So let's open up their first point. All of that to get us to this point. Gain freedom from anxiety by considering temporal things and life. Look at Matthew 6.25. And what does it say? For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life so as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So the principle here is clear. It's telling us since God has given you life, surely he will sustain it. Uh, The argument goes from the greater to the lesser. Here is life, the greater to the lesser food and clothing. Then someone may ask, though, well, uh, if you believe that, why do Christians suffer hunger and hardship? I mean, the question is worth asking, but not necessarily a legitimate one, because there's often a motive behind it, and that motive is to somehow indict God. If this is, in fact, true, does that mean that no Christian would ever feel hunger or no Christian would ever be without clothing? Is that what is promised here? No, it isn't. He's just saying that even in those moments when you have less and you don't have the clothing that you would prefer or like, or even at times perhaps we can say need, that God is going to sustain your life. Throughout history, we see people, believers, who have gone through difficulty and hardship. And we know as they go through that difficulty and hardship, God is using that to mold them more into the image of Christ if they respond to it properly. If they don't respond to it properly, God has a tendency as a loving, wise, heavenly father to cause us to repeat a grade. And all of us here have repeated some grade in life, have we not? Wait a minute, I find myself here again. And why do we sometimes find ourselves in that same position again? Because God is trying to teach us a lesson about his greatness. I mean, Christians who suffer in this fashion, they are doing so for the glory of God. And it's strengthening their faith. But that doesn't mean that they're supposed to be worried and anxious over it. Um, There's a contrast 
that, that runs throughout this passage. And that contrast is you must not be like the Gentiles. You must not be like the unsaved. Here are the things that concern them and they're worried about. And they pursue their powerless gods. They trust in themselves and their ability. You must be different. You must be different. You have a heavenly father who cares for you. Look at verse 26. You can gain freedom from anxiety by considering human life in lesser beings. So verse 26, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? So now the argument goes from what? The lesser to the greaters, to the greater that is. So we start with animals, the lesser beings, and we go to people, specifically God's people. So the principle is the same as the first one, except that the, re- the logic is just reversed. And we see here God's tenderness and attention to detail. How do we see God's tenderness and attention to detail? Because the birds of the air, he cares for them. And sometimes I find that in the Christian life, we need to go back to some of the basics and just meditate on those basics, those things that were to us initially so wonderful and just seem to be so large. And we say to ourselves, God is a God who looks at every little bird that hops on the ground. He's a God that knows every wing that is flapping in the air. How much more will he care for me? He's a God of detail. And that's a part of providence. God is a God of providence because under his sovereign hand, providence is, some have said, sort of the the expression of a particular sovereignty, if you will. The details of life, God knows every detail. Um, An example of it, just a small example. At this um, conference, I had a couple of meetings, and um, I had taught two days before on the providence of God guiding the very world itself. And um, I had a meeting with one of my GA guys. So we leave the bookstore area and we go outside and we're looking for a place where we can sit. And I just said, oh, oh, let's just go right over here. It's under an area where they had Chick-fil-A, but they were gone. And I said, yeah, that looks like a good spot. Let's sit right there. And we begin to talk. There were a number of other places we could have sat. And I just said, let's just go right here and talk. And we began to talk, and we were engaged in this conversation about ministry and what we can do together. And then a couple comes by, and they look at me like this. And I guess they say, oh, I, yeah, he's the one that taught the class. And they come over to me. Uh, Thank you for teaching that class on providence. It was so helpful for us. And as well, he says this to me. You mentioned about having an AFib episode. I had AFib as well, so I identified with it. But I also had a heart attack as well. So what, what's happened with you and what's your story? And so I said, oh, come sit, talk with me. And we talked for a while and discussed it. And, and I told him my mindset throughout it. And he walked away, he and his wife, encouraged by the conversation itself. And I said, here is another illustration of God's providence. I mean, when I thought, okay, I'm going to meet in his George at this time, we rescheduled three times, I think. That's okay, now we finally have to meet before the conference is over. Let's meet here. We walk outside, and I say, no, I think that's the better place for us to meet over there. We're sitting there, and they're leaving a bit early. So, of course, it just happened that they passed by. But we don't believe in that, do we? We believe in the details of life and God's providence unfolding. 
And then the fact that I shared that illustration and he identified with it and he wanted to hear more about it. And I talked about trusting the Lord. God cares for us. Even in the details of life. He's a God of detail. He knows everything that you're facing. And we have to rest in that. Let me give you this last thought. Freedom from anxiety by considering its negative effect. Look at verse 27. And who are you by being worried? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? It's a very direct statement, is it? It's just the opposite, as a matter of fact. So the question is this. Why worry is worthless? Or really a statement. Why is it worthless? Number one, it's worthless because it will cause you at times to be irresponsible because you're now distracted. You're concerned about these things. Number two, because it can be the controlling factor in your life. That if a person is worrying too much, now that controls life itself. Now life is ordered by worry. Life is ordered by anxiety. As opposed to the opportunities God might have for a person. But now they can't pursue those opportunities because of worry. Number three, it does not take or does not make you more noticeable to God. God is not looking at you now more so because you're worried and you're anxious. No. God responds to faith, not to anxiety. Number four, it leads you in a vain attempt to control the future. There's certain things in life that we absolutely cannot control, and we must not even attempt to control, and at times worry is doing that. And then number five, it can adversely affect your health. And I want to come back to this maybe when I return again, the negative effects that it actually will have on your health mentally, um, physically, emotionally, when we worry too much. And then I would say number six, it removes your hope for answers. Hope is not found in secular cures. It may give a moment of relief, but not everlasting. It has to be an act of faith where you trust the living God. Let me go back to um, Atlanta with you, this final thought. Um, And I mentioned that some of us dispersed and we went back to the hotel. And what we did is we gathered hundreds, a couple, maybe it was a couple hundred people there in the hotel lobby. I'm not sure. And uh, we prayed and then we started singing to the Lord. And there we were in the lobby of the Marriott. um, And I suppose it could have been being overly concerned or being anxious about it. And we sang, great is thy faithfulness. Does God's faithfulness change because now, quote, the conference is disrupted? Is this not a part of God's sovereign plan? It is. Um, and we sang the doxology, and we sang, oh, a mighty fortress is our God. And I love that one line, in a mighty fortress is our God, is, as Luther wrote it, had it not been for the one who was on our side. If it were not for the living God who were on our side, we would all fail, would we not? Because our strength is not enough to take him on. But through Christ, we're more than victors. Amen? And if we would keep our minds stayed on that, we can remove some of the anxieties and worries of life. And instead of that, like worry can meander until it cuts open a cavern, if you will, and these other thoughts are drained into it. We fill our mind with things of God 
And God has promised that he'll keep you in perfect peace. It's a promise. It is. We have to trust it and believe it. Father, we thank you for these words you've given us. Help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.